All right, so our series, um, it's called Storyline. And uh, what we're doing is we're taking this 30,000 foot view um, of the Bible and we're seeing this single thread, this single storyline uh, that points us to Jesus in his gospel. Now, when we say gospel, I want us to make sure that we're all on the same page here. Um, what we're talking about is that Jesus came and he lived the life that we can't live and he died the death that you and I deserve. And when we put our faith in Jesus, trusting in the work that he's done, not the work we've done, but all the work that he's done, not only do we become forgiven, but we go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive and that uh, we... Uh, we are forgiven of our sins. We're adopted children of God and we have all the rights and privileges that go with our Father's name. We also, when we put our faith in Jesus, we have all the approval and all the acceptance and all the, uh, all the significance and security and hope and love and peace and joy that we need not only for this life, but also the life to come. And so that's what we mean when we talk about the gospel, and that's what every story is pointing to as we go through this uh, series from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. Now, here's the deal. When you and I, when we connect these stories that we're talking about to our own story, what happens in our lives is that we not only get a peace and a comfort and joy for, for our present circumstances, but it also gives us this living hope that we, that we need for future circumstances. Now, a couple of weeks ago today, uh, we were, we, we were going to talk about Abraham, and a couple of weeks ago, we were introduced to this guy named Abraham. And Abraham was, he, he was a moon worshiper. He was a pagan. Uh, Abraham didn't find God. God found Abraham, okay? And uh, God's called Abraham to himself. God's grace found Abraham. And we saw uh, three things about God's calling and God's grace in Abraham's life and our life. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that, you know, God's calling or God's grace. We saw the power, remember that? The power of God's call. We saw the what? The, the heart of God's call. Anybody remember this? The result. Oh, man, that makes me feel good as a communicator that you know that. And, oh, okay. All right. You're, you, you're cheating. You're cheating now. It's like, it's like you got the cliff notes right up there. So, uh, or the spark notes. I think that's what the kids call them these days. Um, so that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Then last week, we saw that Abraham, uh, he, um, he, he acted as the very first priest. He acted as a legal representative for the city of Sodom. And he went before God and he's, he's pleading for, for God to, to save the city of Sodom. And, and, he, and he discovers this gospel principle there in Genesis chapter 18, that the righteousness of one okay, will we'll cover the unrighteousness of many. And so we see this principle play out in Genesis chapter 18, but we also see it play out in the life of Jesus, that the gospel will, that the, the righteousness of one will cover the unrighteousness of many. And so today we conclude our section about Abraham uh, as far as our series goes. And, uh, what we, and today we have the story of Abraham and his son Isaac, Okay, Abraham and his son Isaac. And we need to understand, there's a couple things that we need to understand to even try to get our minds wrapped around what's going on here. Because on the surface, okay, on the surface, it, it seems like, it appears that this story is all about Abraham's 
amazing obedience and, and about his incredible faithfulness, okay? Now, now here's the problem. For so many years, I've read this story and made Abraham the hero of the story. And if I could just muster up enough strength to obey God like Abraham obeyed God and to have faith in God the way that Abraham had faith in God, uh, then, then my life would be good. But the problem is, I don't know about you, but I fail miserably at that. I don't just fail a couple of times. I fail consistently. And so we can't read these stories and, and put Noah as the hero of the story. We can't read this story and put Abraham in the story. But here's a spoiler alert. Abraham's not the hero. And what we see story after story is they point us to Jesus. And that's what we're going to see today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And uh, if you don't have your Bibles, we'll put it up on the screen for you, and uh, there's, uh, there, there's no three points this morning, all right? And uh, there's no three points to unpack. We're just gonna read the story. I'll make some, make some notes, do some commentary as we go along. But what we're gonna see is that this story in some incredible ways points us to Jesus. Now, let me give you a little context so we kind of truly understand uh, what's going on here this morning. Uh, God does not tell Abraham to murder his son. Okay, Isaac. Um, what he does tell Abraham is to offer his son Isaac uh, as an offering. Okay, and so now, and, and, and again, this is the only time that God says this in Scripture. And, and to really truly understand this story, uh, we have to understand the meaning and the weight behind the firstborn. Because in, in these ancient Eastern cultures, uh, everybody's hopes and everybody's dreams was not for the individual. Okay, that's a very Western worldview is that the individual would achieve all these great things. Um, but in this ancient Eastern culture, uh, everybody's hopes and dreams were for the family. Okay, and, and the oldest or the firstborn in this ancient culture, they kind of got all the marbles. They got most, the vast majority of the inheritance. In a family, they wouldn't divide up the, uh, the land and the cattle among all the kids because as soon as they did that, it would immediately, uh, they would lose their status uh, in the community. So they, they didn't divide up amongst the kids. The majority of it, 99.9% .9 of it, went to the firstborn. And as a result, the firstborn got everything and then he would take care of the rest of the family. Okay, so in the old, ancient, these ancient cultures, they look towards the firstborn as the ultimate hope for the family. Okay, are there any other firstborns here besides me? Just raise your hand. Yeah, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves right now. All right. So, you know, this is what I told my, my little sister all growing up. I'm like, I'm like, dad may spoil you, but just remember, be nice to me because it all comes down to me, the firstborn. And she's like, well, we're not Old Testament anymore. So anyway, I'm like, okay, Jesus freak. Um, but, uh, but, but here's the, it all comes down to, to the firstborn. And God says over and over in the scriptures that the life of the firstborn belongs to him. Uh, the, the firstborn cattle, the first fruits, the firstborn males. And, and the life of the firstborn was forfeited because of the sin debt that was owed to God by the family. And so the firstborn calf, okay, among the livestock 
was always sacrificed. The first fruits of the harvest were always given as an offering. And the firstborn male was always dedicated to the temple. And when, the, when, when, when that boy reached of age, he would go and live and help out at the temple for a little bit and learn the scriptures and then return home. And if you really needed that son to help out with the crops, you could pay a small amount of money uh, as, as, as in place of uh, your son. And so when Abraham heard God say, I want you to offer up your firstborn, Abraham knew that God was calling in his debt. So that's the weight behind what's going on here. So Genesis chapter 22, let's just kind of read this story together, okay? Starting in verse one. It says, sometimes later, sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham replied, here I am. And then God said, take your son, your only son, okay? So there, right there, we have a little foreshadowing of Jesus, okay? Take your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. So so once again, Abraham is being asked, he's being called to leave what's familiar, to leave what's comfortable, and go to a place that God will show him later. So Abraham is called to go without knowing where he's going. And he's called to go uh, without knowing how it's all going to end. Now, when it comes to us in God, you know, if, if we become a Christian, you know, we, we kind of say, well, you know, what's in it for me? You know, do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Do I have to stop doing this? Do I have to stop doing that? But, but here's what God calls us to as Christians, okay, as followers, that God calls us to be committed to follow him to whatever and wherever. That, that we don't come to God on our terms, although we try. I mean, we try to come to God on our, our terms. That we say to God, okay, well, what is this going to cost me? What am I going to have to do? What am I going to have to stop doing? You know, can I do this? Can I, you know, show me the rules. I want to know what the rules are so before I go into this. Show me, show me the law. You know, because we want to fact, we want to make sure that our performance and our good behavior and our good deeds and the things that we do that are good kind of get factored in to the equation. But here's the gospel. We don't come to God on our, on our terms. We come to God on his terms. And here are his terms that he does all the work, he does all the rescuing, and he does all the saving. So so the gospel is that God, when we come to God, we come to God on his terms, and his terms are this. I'm gonna do all the rescuing, I'm gonna do all the saving, and I'm I'm gonna do all the work. Okay, and so if that's God's turn, what do we do? If God's doing all that, what do we do? Nothing. We do all the receiving, We do all the trusting and we do all the following. Okay, our good performance, our good works aren't determined, aren't worked into the equation. God does all the work. So Abraham, he's called to offer up uh, not just his son, okay, but his only son, the only son that he has, 
the only son that he has to carry on the family name, the only son that, that he has that will, uh, that will lead to, that will be in the lineage of Jesus, that Jesus would come through this bloodline and his one and only son that he has to love. And all of this means is that every source of security and significance that Abraham thought he had, he was being asked to to give up, that he was being asked to offer up to God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse eight, the author says this about Abraham. He says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he he would receive at his inheritance, as his inheritance, obeyed and went. And even though he did not know where he was going, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations. So he lived out in the middle of nowhere, but he lived where God told him to live. And he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. In other words, Abraham began to realize as he began to walk with God, as he began to get to know God and get to know the qualities and characteristics of God, Abraham began to realize that there are no other foundations apart from God. There are no foundations apart from God. That Abraham began to realize that it wasn't about his performance and what he can do for God, but it was about God's performance and what God was gonna do for him. And until you and I, until we come to the point of making the gospel our foundation, we will continue to live lives that are based on our performance. That we'll, until we make the gospel our foundation, we will continue to allow our performance to be what drives us and define us. Case in point, if we only feel good about ourselves when we're successful, that will only lead to us feeling good about ourselves for about that long because we're gonna run into somebody who's more successful. If, if, if we, if the foundation of our life is, is our beauty or strength or health, that's gonna last for about that long because we'll come across to somebody who's more pretty or, or stronger or more healthy. See, there are no other foundations apart from God. And until the gospel is our foundation, in other words, nothing means that I'm, Nothing says I am more significant or, or loved or approved than what Jesus Christ has done for me until that becomes our foundation. We'll never be able to live a life of justice. We'll never be able to live a life of courage, of mercy, of grace, of purity, or, or, or security, or, uh, or even generosity. There are no other foundations apart from God. And that's what, that's what Abraham has been has been learning about God as as God has been revealing himself to Abraham. Look at verse three. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. 
and we will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, don't miss that one. He, he, he said we, not I. Okay? So somehow, some way, Abraham had enough faith and knew enough about God and knew enough about God's promises that God had promised to make Abraham into a great nation and the whole world would be blessed through him. And Isaac was part of that. So he held on. He remembered what God had promised him and he knew enough about God that they were both coming off that mountain. Now, he didn't know how, but he knew that if, even if he thrust the knife through Isaac's heart, he knew that God could bring Isaac back to life because he, he knew enough about God. God, he, he had enough faith in God. Verse six, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went together. We, just, we, we see what a great father Abraham is. Notice he keeps the dangerous things away from his son. Okay, the knife, okay, and the fire. And what do we tell our kids? Don't play with matches, right? And you know, what do we tell our kids? You know, hey, you know, don't run with scissors in your hand. So, so he keeps the dangerous things away from his son. And that's just the tenderness of a dad. Verse seven. It says, and Isaac spoke up. Now, 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 you, now you start reading this through the lens of a parent and it breaks your heart. Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, and I'm sure with a lump in his throat, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, now, Picture Abraham going up this mountain with his son Isaac. Was Abraham going up this mountain saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. You know, I, I, this is about my obedience. This is about my performance. This is about what I, what I have to do. I can, I must, I will. I can, I must, I will. Can, I must, I will. See, because no amount of self-strength would get you up that terrible mountain. That's not what is driving Abraham. So what is giving him the strength? See, in verse eight, Abraham says, the Lord will provide. And this, this, this Hebrew word provide, it's a little word, it means to see. In other words, when, when Isaac says, you know, where's the, where's the animal for the offering? Um, Abraham basically says, I, son, I, I don't know, but we'll see. And what Abraham is saying here is, I don't know, son, how God is going to be both holy and gracious. I don't know how God is going to be both just and justifier. I don't know how God is going to be both promise maker and promise keeper. But God, son, somehow, some way, God will. I know he will. And that's what's getting Abraham up this hill. It's not, I will, I must, I can. And, and to be honest, that's how most of us try to live out our faith. I will, I must, I can. I will, I must, I can. I will, I must, I can. And then we can't. And we feel like failures. And then we blame others or blame God and we turn our back on God and give up on church and everything. It's not, I will, I must, I can. It's, I can't, but God can. 
I can't, but God can. Can we just say that together? I can't, but God can. I can't, but God can. That's what's getting Abraham up this terrible hill. That God somehow, some way, will figure out a way to pay for the price of sin and still be the God of grace. Verse nine. And when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac, who I'm sure was terrified. Tears pouring down his cheeks. He laid Isaac on the altar on top of the wood. Again, it's this thread. That's the thread. It's pointing us to Jesus because one day Jesus will be laid on an altar of wood, right? And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. He says, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear the God because you have not withheld from me your son. And here again, here's the thread, your only son. So we have to stop and ask ourselves, who else had an only son that he sacrificed? The father. Abraham looked up. And there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns and he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. We'll come back to that in just a moment. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself. So this is God talking, declares the Lord that because you have done this and have not withheld your son. Again, here's the thread. Your what? Only son. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. In other words, God is starting to remind Abraham, I'm reminding you of what I told you. I'm reminding you of my promise. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Again, there's the thread. We're pointing, they're pointing us to Jesus. will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Bathsheba and Abraham stayed in Bathsheba. Now we know that Isaac could not pay the price of Abraham's sin. Okay, we know that on this side of the cross. And we know, we even know that the ram here caught in the thicket can't ultimately atone for the sin either. But centuries later, that thread running from beginning to end points us to the cross. That when God the Father put his son on the wood, on the cross, when Jesus called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father paid the ultimate price by turning his back in silence to his son. And by him rejecting his own son, he's able to receive us through faith in Jesus. And Abraham knew that day that God loved him because God spared his son. But you know how you and I know that God loves us? Is God did not spare his own son 
so that God could do all the work and he could save us. And that's how you and I know that God loves us. He did not spare his own son so that he could rescue and save us. That mountain for a moment. The mountain that's called the Lord will provide. Because I know that many of us have prayed prayers to God to save, to heal, to fix. God didn't answer the prayers the way we wanted him to, did he? I've prayed prayers that God didn't answer the way I wanted him to. But let's take a step back. Let's see the big picture. Let's see what God, who God is and what he's doing. And let me just ask you this. Maybe God didn't answer the prayer you wanted, provide the answer that you wanted. But has he not provided you the strength to walk through that? See, even Jesus prayed, Father, if there's another way to save, to save the world, let's go with plan B. If there's a plan B, let's go with plan B. But not my will, but your will be done. God didn't answer that prayer. He walked through it. He got the strength from God to walk through it. Has God not, has God not provided the strength for you? Has God not provided grace for you? Has God not provided mercy? Has God not provided just a sliver of joy since that tragedy? Has, a, has God not provided just a, just a smile of happiness when you thought you could never be happy again? The Lord will provide. He may not provide the answer we wanted, but he will provide. And what he provides is his presence. He provides his strength, his grace, his mercy. And we may never know why he didn't answer the way we wanted him to answer. It looks like a no-brainer to us, but you know what? God sees time from beginning, from before the foundations of the earth through eternity. And the Bible says that somehow, some way, he will work all things together the only way that God can that will be for our good in His glory so that other can, others can see through you just how important and how grand He is. I know that doesn't minimize the pain, but it gives us hope and peace and comfort because that's he provides.